Good morning. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. And I also want to welcome you and those of you watching online. Um, this is week five of six of this countercultural conviction. So uh, second to last week here. Uh, next week, we're going to have a special guest that will be familiar to many of you. Uh, Josh Watt is going to be here preaching next week. Um, for those of you that don't know Josh, he was a youth pastor here for about eight years and then went and planted Redemption North Mountain. And uh, it, I'm just excited that he'll be here. We'll get to hear a little bit about how things are going, and then he'll uh, finish out this uh, series for us. So uh, this is week five, and, uh, and, and I hope that uh, you kind of stick with me through this sermon because there's going to be a special opportunity at the end of this message to, to apply it in a way that I think is going to be uh, fun and, and meaningful. So uh, today we're talking about generosity, and uh, of course, when you think of generosity, you, you first start kind of thinking a little bit about money. You can be generous with your time and with your talents, but also with your treasure. And even from a young age, we can tell that money is important. Uh, you know, some years back, there was a little boy, he really wanted $100, and so he was praying to the Lord, God, please give me $100, and he prayed for a couple of weeks, and nothing happened. The $100 didn't show up somehow. So he decided, you know what, maybe prayer is not the thing. I'm going to write God a letter. And so he wrote God a letter. Um, Dear Lord, would you please give me $100? And he addressed it to the Lord, USA. And uh, the Postal Service got this. And they're like, well, I don't know exactly what to do this, but probably the closest thing, okay, let's send it to the president. And so uh, the president got the letter and thought, oh man, this is adorable. This kid wants $100. You know, that's a lot for a little kid, um, but he'd probably appreciate $5. And so he, he uh, uh, you know, asked the, his assistant, hey, put $5 in there. He'll think it's like a ton of money to a little kid. And so uh, they, uh, the kid got the money back. And so he sat down and he wrote a thank you note to the president. And it said, dear Lord, uh, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you sent it through Washington, D.C., and as usual, those jerks deducted $95. And uh, regardless of your partisanship, it's just kind of a funny joke. So, um, you know, I was sitting this week with a guy that, that does, he has a business called Kingdom Analytics, and they kind of look at demographics and psychographics of different communities. And one of the things that was really interesting is, is I was kind of hearing more about kind of uh, his kind of research, especially related to the East Valley, is he said one of the things that, that, and I just thought this was a really interesting tension that he kind of told me about. He said, on one hand, um, all these people in our community, they really have lots of stresses and questions and concerns and need help and coaching and direction related to money. At the same time, one of the things they're most suspicious about related to church is that churches are too interested in their money. Isn't that interesting? And so that makes talking about uh, money and talking about generosity kind of hard. And yet, if you think about it, in a a, a culture that is so consumeristic and so materialistic and so obsessed with wealth and with stuff, if we're going to be truly countercultural, we have to think about what it means to be generous. There's an old uh, saying, I don't know if this really happened, but supposedly there were some uh, crusaders in the time of the crusades who, when they were baptized, they held their swords up out of the water. That's a way of saying, Lord, take me, but I still plan to do some violence with this sword. And it's interesting, you just wonder how many Christians today are baptized with their wallets out of the water. Lord, I'm all yours, but eh, not that. 
So we're going to talk about generosity, and, and, and yet what I think we're going to see here is that Jesus sets us free to be counterculturally generous. That when Jesus comes into our lives and when Jesus reorients things in our lives, generosity becomes something that increasingly, the more we are in touch with Jesus and the closer we are to Jesus, generosity becomes way less of an ought to and way more of a get to. Something that actually the people of God delight in. And one of the things I'm so thankful, even as I give this message today, is just knowing over the years and even this year and all the time, just how generous of a people you are. And so I want to encourage us in that. For those of you that are new in our church, I want to encourage you in that uh, because this is a truly countercultural conviction. Jesus sets us free to be counterculturally generous. You could call this kingdom generosity. And that's kind of the phrase I want to use today is kingdom generosity. When we're part of God's kingdom, when we're part of the kingdom of Jesus, we have a whole different perspective on money and we have a whole different perspective on generosity. And to just kind of give us the big picture, um, I, I want to I show you this video. There's a, there's a, um, a YouTube channel, The Bible Project, and you, you can go to thebibleproject.com. If you are not watching The Bible Project videos, you should be. They have unbelievable, really helpful kind of animated uh, videos around different books of the Bible and different themes in the Bible. And when I saw this about five-minute video related to generosity, I thought, you know, I can't improve on this. They're going to say in five minutes what it would take me 40 minutes to say. Um, and so I just, I think this is a helpful kind of starting point to help us understand kingdom generosity. So take a look at this. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world, under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew Scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. 
But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere, with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. That's good, huh? See, I couldn't do that in an hour. Uh, and all the cool animation, they just, uh, they crush it. And I just think that's an important sort of starting point to go, hey, what story are we living in? And as the people of God here at Redemption Gateway, we're trying to live in the true story. We're trying to live in the story where we believe we can trust God. And so that's what kingdom generosity starts with, is, is knowing what story we're part of. Uh, what I want to do now is I, I want to look at a, a significant and a beautiful example of this kind of kingdom generosity. And it's in your Bible. If you have your Bible uh, still open to 2 Corinthians 8, uh, we're gonna spend some time there. We're gonna look at a beautiful example of this and we're gonna look at really where the power for this comes from. And then we're gonna try to apply it uh, together. So a beautiful example of kingdom generosity is here in 2 Corinthians 8. And the, the context for this is uh, the Apostle Paul has, has been going around the Mediterranean rim, kind of modern day Turkey, modern day Greece, and he's been starting new congregations. He's been starting new churches. He's been preaching the gospel, identifying leaders, and then trying to encourage them with letters along the way. And so he's traveling around and he's doing lots of things. And the word gets to Paul that there's actually been some famine and some hardship 
in Jerusalem, and that it's especially affecting the Christians in Jerusalem. And so Paul says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start to allow these, these churches from these other parts outside of Jerusalem that were largely, by the way, made up of non-Jews. They were made up of Gentiles. And he's going to say, he says, we're going to ask these Gentiles if they would give financially to help support the church in Jerusalem. Now, this is going to do a lot of different things. Uh, one thing it's going to do is it's going to give these Jews, uh, I'm sorry, th these Gentiles a chance to really help these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. It's also going to allow the Jewish believers to realize they need the Gentiles. There was this tendency among the Jews to look down on the Gentiles. Even when the Gentiles started to come into the church, there was a little bit of like, a, well, I guess you can come. And so Paul says, not only is this going to meet a practical need, but this is going to show the kind of unity that exists in the kingdom of God. And so he's been going around and he's been collecting. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, these Macedonian churches were the churches from Philippi. They were the churches uh, from Thessalonica, from Berea. These are the churches we read about in the book of Acts, and there's letters written to some of these churches. And so that's what he's, uh, that's what he's doing. And so what do we see when we see this example of the churches in Macedonia? Well, the first thing we see is that they gave the grace of God. What we're going to see in this, in this just five verses is an unbelievably beautiful picture of kingdom generosity. And it starts with the idea that they gave the grace of God. Do you see that in verse one? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, uh, we want you to know, brothers, about how much money the churches of Macedonia gave. He says, I want you to know about how much grace they gave. There is this reality that God's grace works through us. God's grace to us often works through other people. Some of you, you have stories like this. You, you, you kind of go, you know what? I had this need and I prayed and somehow I got an extra amount of money on a tax return or somebody gave me a gift and it was the exact amount. Right? I was talking to somebody uh, this week who spent a long time overseas and a lot of the, the, their needs as they were seeking to plant the gospel and uh, work for the Lord uh, were just kind of having to be met through them praying. And so they would pray. And this uh, one guy told me in particular, he said, you know, there was this time when I was... Uh, specifically praying, you know, we needed, we needed new phones to be able to communicate with each other and back home and everything. And, and so I was praying for enough money to be able to buy two new phones. And I was trying to lead worship at this church where I, that I was helping plant and I needed a guitar. And so I just was praying, Lord, would you help provide enough money for phones and a guitar? And guess how much extra money showed up the next month? The exact amount for phones and a guitar. Now, the people who gave that money, yes, they were giving money, but they were giving more than money. They were giving the grace of God. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that the grace of God comes through our giving. When we bless other people, when we're generous with what God gives us, we're spreading not just the resources and not just wealth, we're spreading grace. Here's another part of their incredible example. Number two, they gave joyfully despite severe affliction. Look at verse two. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity 
on their part. Despite severe affliction, Paul doesn't say in the midst of affliction, he says in the midst of severe affliction. The word literally means deep affliction. Because these churches in Macedonia, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, they're not like living in the lap of luxury. <laughs> they're actually experiencing their own kind of persecution, just like Paul did when he planted those churches. And so they're experiencing affliction, they're experiencing hardship. And in the midst of their severe affliction, it's, he says they gave joyfully. John Piper says this, he says, joy in something else had severed the root of joy in money. In other words, they had such joy in God, they had such joy in something else that, that the joy in their money was no longer that important. And, and they could say, you know what, even though we're going through a really hard time, here, we'll give it joyfully. That's an incredible example. Number three, they gave generously despite extreme poverty. Also verse two, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, another big word Paul uses, extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It's interesting, just thinking about that as kind of a math formula. A severe test of affliction plus extreme poverty equals what? What would it be for you and I? A severe test of affliction. Some of you have had that in the last couple of years, eh? A severe test of affliction plus extreme poverty equals bitterness, stress, anxiety, worry, self-protection, I mean, that would just make, that would make all the sense in the world, wouldn't it? I mean, you wouldn't, like, if someone was like, man, I went through the worst affliction I've ever gone through, and I'm in a lower spot financially than I've ever been, and they were a little bit grumpy and stressed out, you wouldn't be like, well, get over it. You'd, you'd totally understand, right? And yet, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that in the midst of that, their abundant, you know, what it equaled, severe affliction plus extreme poverty equaled joyful, overflowing wealth of generous giving. That's amazing. It reminds us of the time when Jesus and his disciples sat to watch the people give into the temple and they saw the widow who gave her two last coins. Jesus says she gave more than anybody because in the midst of her affliction and her poverty, she still was joyfully generous. Here's the fourth thing we see in this example is that they gave extravagantly beyond their means. Look at verse three. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like in a pre-credit card world. How do they give beyond their means? I don't know. My best guess is this is just Paul's way of saying, like, they gave way more than I thought was reasonable. They gave extravagantly. And I was trying to think as I, as I was kind of going through this and thinking, like, what would be an example of giving beyond your means? And you know what? I couldn't think of one. Like, I've never had to sit with someone and be like, hey, could you stop giving? Please, like, you're hurting yourself. I mean, I guess you could think of that potentially like poor people who are getting taken advantage of by, like, TV preachers. But usually there's some other dynamic going on there. I just couldn't think of this. This is extravagant. This is incredible. 
What an example. Number five, they gave freely, not under compulsion. Look at verse three. Uh, They gave according to their means, as I testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. This means this was not under compulsion. They weren't uh, forced into it. They gave freely of their own accord. Uh, th- this kind of made me think about the, the difference. Um, this, this year we did a kids camp. We had, gosh, I don't know, 250 or 300 uh, kids that were on our campus this summer, just having a blast, playing games, making crafts, learning about Jesus, building relationships, having a, just a, a great time. And one of the things that we did is, because we'd had a couple years because of moving in this building and then COVID where we just couldn't do a kids camp. And we said to our staff, we said, all right, everybody on staff this week's going to be involved with uh, kids camp. And so our staff, they bought in and they were there. But here's the thing. They were there under compulsion, <laughs> right? They had to be there, right? And they, they did it joyfully. No one was upset. No one was bickering. It was a totally, like, it was a great win. But there were some volunteers who were there who were using vacation time to show up, to love kids, and to screw around, and to play and to teach them about Jesus, and to just model joy. And, and you know what? I'm thrilled about our staff and the way that they dove in and helped out and supported and gave, right? But how much more beautiful is it when it's like someone's giving up vacation days to, to hang out with kids? It's incredible. They gave freely, not under compulsion. Verse four uh, says this, number six, they gave voluntarily begging to participate. Verse four, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Isn't that interesting? Most people beg to get money. These people were begging to give it. Oh, please, pretty please. Can we get involved? Can we help out? Oh, we really want to do it. Why? Number seven, because they viewed giving as a privilege, not a burden. Do you see it in verse uh, four? They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That word favor uh, could also, it's the same word that's translated throughout this passage uh, four other times as grace. They were, pray, they were begging us for the grace of giving to this. This was a privilege. This was not a burden. I wish, I wish this was more true for me. I wish I viewed giving generously more as a grace, more as a privilege, more as an opportunity than as a burden. But if I'm honest, there's times when I, I struggle. Like there was a, a time, uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, where uh, we needed a new van. And we looked at the money we had kind of set aside for the van, and we looked at kind of what we were making, and we looked at those different things. And uh, we bought a worse van than I wanted to buy. And it works, and it's great, and, you know, it's not a clunker. It's not, you know, we're, we're doing fine. But, like, I wanted one with a couple things that this one doesn't have. And that was frustrating. And what was really frustrating is I started thinking back about how much money we've been giving. In our regular, Molly and I's regular tithing, as well as in our building projects and things we've done. And one of the disciplines that I have, and this can be a good discipline or a bad discipline, depending on your heart. But one of the things that I do is when we get our giving statement at the end of the year, I look at it. Because the way we give is we kind of have it set. We just 
set a percentage off the top and we just give it. And so I'm not writing a check every week. And so oftentimes if I'm not careful, it can just be out of sight, out of mind, but I know I'm giving it. But when I look at the statement at the end of the year that says, here's everything you gave this year, I try to think, what could I have bought with that? Now, again, that can be a bad discipline if it leads you to be more stingy. But it can be a good discipline if it helps you go, okay, that's what I, you know, Bible says they give sacrificially. That was a sacrifice. But I'll tell you what, when I was thinking about that money, it would have gotten quite a nicer van. And I, and I had a, a good week or two of like kind of Elmer where I'm just kind of frustrated. And, and Paul says, not these folks. They were viewing it as a privilege, not a burden. This was a grace. This was a favor. They were so excited to participate. Here's the last thing we see in this beautiful example is that they gave more than money. They were offering themselves. Look at verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. This is saying, hey, this is not just money, but this is time, and this is energy, and this is prayer, and this is, hey, if there's anything else we can do to help these churches, be sure to let us know, and if we can go with you, and if we can send someone on your behalf, right? And there's this whole conversation about Titus, and we want to support him, and we want to make sure he can get there, and we want to do all this stuff. We, we want to give ourselves uh, St. Augustine described sin this way. He said, sin is a radical curvature inward. Sin is a radical curvature inward on yourself. Sometimes we might call this kind of navel-gazing. When you just spend all your time thinking about me, 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 I love myself, I keep my picture on my shelf, and everything is just about you. And even, get this, sometimes this happens where even when you see someone do something good, all you can think about is yourself and how you compare to it. That's, that's the evidence of sin. Sin's a radical curvature inward. Man turned in on himself. And yet what's happened here is these people have been set free where now there's a curvature outward. Where even in the midst of affliction and even in the midst of poverty, even these people who should not be giving the way they're giving are doing it. Why? Because they've been set free. So they're generous with their energy. They're generous with their experiences. They're generous with their time. Some of you have real expertise in the marketplace. You've been through some stuff. You, you've, you've paid some dumb tax. And you gotta share what you've learned so that other people don't have to pay that same dumb tax. Generous with your expertise. Generous with your experiences. One of the hardest things for us sometimes is to be generous with our energy. But this is saying like, no, uh, life's not about me. Life's about living this kingdom generosity. So, so that's a just profound example of it. I mean, I just think that's a beautiful example in 2 Corinthians 8. And we could leave it there and we could all say, all right, everybody, go out and be like the Macedonians. Ready? Macedonians on three. One, two, three. Macedonians. But that's not enough. What Paul does here. Because Paul is trying to, he, what he's doing is he's going to the Corinthians and saying, hey, I want you guys to get involved with this project like the Macedonians have. So he says, here's what I've seen in them. And, and here's what he says in verse 7. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's going, hey, I'm so excited for you. You're going in your faith, your, your ability to control your mouth and your words. You're developing more of a knowledge of God and his word. You're committed. You're sincere. Grow in your generosity too. And so this leads us third to the kingdom generosity. Where does it come from? How do you get the ability to do this? Where, where does this come from? So look at verse 9. This is where it comes from. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, this is like, a, you know, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? This is a little bit of a tongue twister. But you got to think about this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, so here's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, hey, here's why you can be generous because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's why you can be a grace giver with your generosity. Because you've received the grace. Well, what did the grace look like? The grace looked like this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he was rich. Would everyone say that Jesus, before he came to earth, was rich? He's God. He has everything. He has no needs. He's eternally existing in a beautiful relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is rich. He has everything he could ever need. And what Paul says is, though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. The video talked about this. We know about the poverty of Jesus. He became poor so that, it says, you, by his poverty, might become rich. What's Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that so often we associate money with as more than it is. Money is often about our future. We want money because it's about our security. We want money because it's about our status. We want money because it's about our comfort. We want money because it'll help us have a better van than we bought, right? And so all of a sudden, money isn't just money, it's all these bigger things. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, Jesus had all that really mattered, and he gave that up, to die in your place so that you could have all that really matters. And now, if you have all that really matters, then money is no longer your future, and money is no longer your security, and money is no longer your comfort, and money is no longer your joy, because you already have that in Jesus. Now, money's just money. Right? Everyone, really, in my family, except for my wife, uh, Everyone else, we are cursed with the need, whenever we go out to eat, to order the perfect thing. Does anybody else have this? What would be the perfect thing for this moment? What's the best thing in this menu, right? And, and there's like kind of a competition as they bring out the food and it's like, well, you won. And if you didn't, and if you got out-ordered, oh my gosh, just feels terrible, right? And so there's times where I've started to realize like, this is not good, like... This is a problem. And so there's times when we're like staring at a menu or, you know, you're up at the counter and it's like, there's people behind us. Let's go. And I'll start to say, hey, it's just food. It's just food. It's not your joy. It's not your 
fulfillment. It's not your happiness. It's just food. And some of you are like, well, but it is my joy. Then, then you and I need to repent together of that because that is not our joy. It's a good gift of God. We should rejoice in it. But like the point at which it's like, I can't possibly, oh, I got to make the, it means too much to you. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if you, if you can't let go of your time, of your resource, of your experience, of your energy, then, then that means too much to you. But Jesus has come and he has set you free. I love this quote by Jen Wilkin. She says it this way. She says, generosity flourishes when we do not fear loss. If you fear loss, you got to clutch, you got to hold, you got to cling, you got to hoard. But if you don't fear loss, you go, well, I, I have everything I would need. I have everything I would want. I, I don't need to hold on to anything. I got it all. I can give stuff away. So it's a beautiful example in the Macedonians. It's a profound thought of where this comes from. It comes from being set free by Jesus. And so now I want to invite us to practice. And I want to give you kind of a fun opportunity to do this. So kingdom generosity, let's practice together. So before we go to the next slide, um, there's, a, there's a church in our community that we've been connected to for a number of years. Some years ago in a Christmas offering, uh, we helped give a gift to them as they were helping get started. Um, and it's a church called Livingstone Community Church. They uh, have been meeting in Eastmark, and in the last year or so, they've been meeting at Eastmark High School. And um, it's a church that's uh, got some momentum now, and it's growing, and it's kind of developing, but they're in a portable situation. And um, I remember when our church was in a portable situation, and it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of effort. Um, and some people kind of call it church in a box, because literally what happens is when you do portable church, you kind of pull up to the high school, and you have a big trailer, and that's kind of the box where all the stuff is sort of kept, and you kind of unload it and roll it out. Well, Livingstone Community Church had something really devastating happen in the last couple of weeks. Their trailer was stolen. And other than a couple things, like they had some bounce houses that weren't in the trailer. Um, they might have had a little bit of sound equipment that was heat sensitive, so it wasn't in there. But, but almost everything they had for the, for the church gathering, just gone. And so I'm so proud of them. Last Sunday, they were like, well, all we have is a bounce house, so let's have a block party. And that's what we'll do for our church service. Isn't that cool? And so uh, one of our pastors, Mark Andrus, who was up here a minute ago, who leads us in communion, he, he said, he goes, hey, did you hear about Living Stone? I said, no, I haven't heard about it. And so we, I kind of saw their videos and saw what was going on. And uh, they think it was, you know, somewhere around $50,000 worth of loss. And uh, there's different ways they're going to be able to recover some of that. Um, but I kind of heard about that, reached out to Whitney Clayton. Uh, he's the pastor there and kind of started asking some questions. And so then I went to our elders and I said, hey, what if, what if we practice generosity this week? Here's a church that's in need, right in our community. They're reaching people that we're not reaching. Let's, let's exceed, excel in this act of grace also. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you uh, to give a one-time gift this week to Livingstone Community Church for their new trailer. And uh, we're going to make this real easy on you. Um, there's a QR code that we're going to put up here. Uh, there's a link there. If you uh, don't know how to do the QR code, you can type in the link. It's redaz.in slash trailer. 
And what this will do is you can just uh, scan this. You can, you know, maybe even just do it right now, you know, scan it now, open up the browser, and then go back to it later if you want to or whatever. Um, if you're giving just through our regular giving platform, uh, you can do the drop-down menu and select Livingstone Trailer. Uh, this link will take you just directly to that, so you make sure you give to that. Um, if you give in person, if you give cash or... Uh, uh, check or those sorts of things. You can just you know, mark it before you put it in the giving envelope. Uh, mark it for living stone. Just write living stone on it or write trailer on it. Some way that will make it where we kind of know about this. And we're going to keep this open probably for just about a week. Um, this is not going to be kind of an ongoing fund that we're going to just keep giving to. Uh, but we want to bless them. And so I, I would just encourage you, could you give $25 or $50 or $100 or $500 or $5? Could you do something just to bless them? Because this is just money. And yet this is the grace of God. And, I, and, and they don't know that we're doing this. I haven't told Whitney we're doing this. And I just think it'll be so fun to kind of go, hey, man. God's been generous to us. God's been good to us. We want to be good to you. Let's be a blessing. Uh, uh, in our uh, preaching collective, I'll, I'll finish with this. In our preaching collective, on, uh, when we were talking about this message, preaching collective is where we get together with all the preachers from all of the redemption congregations. We talk about what we're going to preach. And uh, Paul Artino from Redemption Gilbert, he had a great line. He said, it's important to remember when it comes to giving that we don't give to the church, we give as the church. Think about that. We don't give to the church, we give as the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, if you've had your life reoriented where you now have true riches because of Jesus, then you are the church. The church is not a place where, it's a people who. And so we don't give to the church, we give as the church. And when we give as the church, whether it's to the ongoing mission of ministry that happens through Redemption Gateway to our community, or whether it's to uh, giving to projects like this one with Living Stone, either way, we're giving as the church. What an opportunity that we have to be generous, to counter a culture of clinging, hoarding, consuming, and living as though this world is all there is. We know true riches, don't we? Let's pray. God, thank you for your generosity and thank you for the opportunity to give, uh, especially in this way, um, to Living Stone. And um, God, I pray that you would use whatever we give uh, to bless them. God, I pray that you would encourage Whitney and Allie and their family. I pray you would encourage the rest of that church body God, that they're not in it alone, but that together as the people of God, we want to see your grace poured out on this community. We want to be the best friend this community has. And God, thank you for setting us truly free so that we can be generous with our time and our effort and our energy and our experiences and our money. God, thank you for how good and faithful you are to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.